in preparation for this morning's message. We shall be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostles, ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles and when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do our God is so good. It is good to see you here. We continue our series on Galatians and we are going to discuss the second part of the text, Galatians 2, 1 to 10. The first part was discussed last week and we will continue that today. And the title for today's sermon is Right Hand of Fellowship. Paul brought Barnabas and Titus with him to visit the influential leaders in the Jerusalem church. Barnabas was a Jew and Titus a Gentile. Well, in that context, all non-Jewish people were called Gentiles in the Jewish perspective. Perhaps Paul tried to show how the team of different races could work together in reaching out to the Gentile world. There was this thinking that the gospel belonged to the Jewish people only, only to the sons of Judah and Israel. That was the belief. Jesus came and the Messiah was prophesied in the Jewish tradition through the prophets that were, were the sons of Abraham and the sons of Isaac and Jacob. And it did not enter in their minds until certain events that happened in the New Testament, and you could confirm this in the book of Acts, in the account of Luke, where they realized that the gospel was also for the Gentile. 
that God's plan all along was to involve all nations. They thought that making disciples of all nations was making disciples of the scattered Jewish people. Remember when they were invaded by Nebuchadnezzar or by Babylon, they were taken captive. And many of, of the sons of David lived in those areas and did not join Nehemiah and Ezra when they came back to Jerusalem. In fact, there, there was a prophecy coming from God. It's all right, settle in, build houses, build whatever you have and prosper in those cities. Therefore, the synagogues were established. That's why there were synagogues all around the place. And of course, from, um, from Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, came the Persians who overthrew Babylon. And then we have now the Romans ruling the world during this time, the time of this writing. So even in Paul's missionary journey, he would first visit the synagogue because there would probably be 10 fathers or 15 fathers gathered there to listen to the reading of Scripture. It was a tradition to read Scripture. So when they thought, make disciples of all nations as Jesus, our Lord, commanded, through Matthew, and even Luke's account says, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins through all the nations. They were thinking the Jewish people scattered all over the world. They did not think that the, the Gentile should be accepted within. It was a divine controversy during that time. In fact, if you would read in Acts 15, there was a serious council meeting that was called to discuss the issue. And the leaders were there, and there were guests there, there were missionaries there, and they discussed these things. Paul and Peter experienced in their own personal account that the Lord did plan to include the Gentiles, and we know that Peter experienced that through Cornelius. Uh, but Paul received that directly from the start. You're going to the Gentiles. Yet Peter's primary target was still the Jewish people, although he understood that the gospel is inclusive. Yet Paul, in his experience in the Damascus Road when God called him, it was already a direct command that he must go to the Gentiles. He understood that early, very early. And even Ananias, the one who prayed for Paul to receive back his sight, uh, received an understanding from the Lord that how much this person would suffer for him and uh, most specifically for the Gentiles. Now, Paul coming to Jerusalem was showing uh, Barnabas and Titus in the same team and uh, them walking together, two Jewish people, Paul and Barnabas, Paul being a scholar, a doctor of their law, a Pharisee, and Barnabas, also known as the son of encouragement, he sold uh, uh, his wealth to give to the move of the Lord, uh, to, the, to the work of God. And we know that he was the one who looked for Paul and brought him to Antioch. Uh, 
And it was in Antioch that Barnabas and Paul were sent by the local leaders, local church leaders there, received God's direction to pray for them through fasting and prayer to send them out. And they were sent out. And as they were sent out as partners, <clears throat> they have preached the gospel to many places. And of course, Titus was one of those that heard the gospel and uh, walked with them. So he brought them together to Jerusalem. Now, when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he cited that the apostles were talking about Peter, James, and John. And uh, that the apostles did not require circumcision from Titus. Because there was a divide during that time that if you're a Gentile becoming a believer in Christ, you should also follow the Jewish traditions, especially the law. In fact, to the point that others are saying you cannot be saved without being under Moses. And the physical evidence of that was circumcision, that you belong. Now, Paul cited that they, Peter, James, and John, who seemed to be pillars, leaders in that church, did not require that from Titus, which supported Paul's position on the matter. Now, Paul, as we read in the earlier part of uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, narrated that some tried to pressure them, and, um, but they remained steadfast and did not give in to their demands. Who were these? These were the false brothers. And for Paul, whoever added anything to the gospel, he considered it a false brother. And uh, we, too, believe that. The gospel is pure. If you add anything to it, I would consider you a false brother. Even if you think you are a true brother. It's first what we believe. It's first the doctrine of Scripture. Now, Paul even stated in the previous chapter that he who preaches another gospel, meaning added anything to it or distorts it, let him be accursed. And it's the only time I would see Paul write those words. Let him be accursed. How does that speak to me and to us? Well, we must be careful. Because what applied then still applies today. That we must know the purity of Scripture based on the harmony of Scripture with the different apostolic writings or their associates wrote as they have understood the apostles, we look and, and harmonize this and see that there is a consistency of what the gospel is. It is centered on the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. And the purpose behind it, many in the world today understood that he did suffer and die, but they do not understand the meaning of it. The importance of an innocent man, a sinless man, a sinless person dying for the sin of the world. It had to be a sinless person. One who had not committed sin, similar to the Jewish legal system of ceremony where an innocent animal must be killed for your sins. Another innocent must suffer. 
But the blood of animals is not the same as the blood of the Son of God. The blood of Jesus Christ became a permanent sacrifice that whoever believes in him and those who truly believe in him would also leave the deeds of darkness, which is another word for repentance, and follow him. We believe that to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. He commanded, you are witnesses and proclaim. And even Paul, who did not hear Christ directly, meaning did not hear it from the human, the, the resurrected Christ on earth, manifested physically on earth, for he met the Christ on the road, which manifested in a divine way. He understood. Peter and the rest heard it themselves in Luke 24, when Jesus said, proclaim repentance for forgiveness. John, John's version is those who ever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But please don't stop in verse 16. Because if you read verse 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 in John chapter 3, don't stop in 16 because you're taking it out of context if you stop there. But whoever does not believe is already condemned because their deeds were evil. So what does believe mean? It means it includes turning away from sin and evil. And that is in one context. So please do not take it apart. We say there are those who add something and those who subtract. And sometimes we subtract when we say, we do not say turn away from your sin, when we do not say repent, when we do not say, if you truly believe, you will leave the deeds of darkness and follow Jesus Christ. If we do not say any of those or similar to those, we are making it incomplete. And once we add something in the modern world like, how do you become saved? Just follow this prayer after me which they call a sinner's prayer. Let me just say it's called the sinner's prayer, commonly known, not Lord's prayer. Lord's prayer is our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Common lingo. I'm not saying those are the biblical words. These are the common lingos. If you repeat after me and just say this, because we quote, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, it's not an empty call. Have you forgotten Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not an empty call. It's a heartfelt call to God. Save me. Thank you for the salvation in Christ Jesus. I am a sinner. That is a genuine sinner's prayer. But repeat after me, dear Lord, forgive me. I believe in my heart. Then with a mechanical prayer, then we give a false assurance, you are saved. Now I learned as reading Romans, it is the Holy Spirit who assures the person because it's a heartfelt, deep call to God, not us. Not us. It is truly the work of the Spirit. But what can we do? We try to proclaim the gospel as clear as possible. Let me reiterate some of the points. Point number one, nothing to add. Nothing to add. Paul pointed out to the Galatians that the apostles, meaning Peter, James, and John, added nothing to Paul's gospel presentation. 
they did not add the requirements of the law, unlike the Judaizers. Let's read verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Meaning, the gospel you heard from Christ directly was complete. Not only complete, it aligned. It aligned to them. The only difference was the main focus, the target people. While Peter and the rest of the apostles were for the Jewish people, Paul and his team were for the Gentiles. Now, Paul respected the Jerusalem leaders. However, he also noted that their status did not matter. What does that mean? Showing respect, but the status does not matter. Well, God revealed the gospel to Paul and then sent him to the Gentiles. A person's status in church or outside church does not matter when it comes to the gospel. It does not matter who we are. The gospel is the gospel. It does not change, although he showed respect to these leaders, as we would respect all who claim to be uh, believers because the gospel is a gospel, but when they preach another gospel, they add or subtract something from it. That's something we will discuss. We cannot give the right hand of fellowship because we can only give the right hand of fellowship once we know they truly understand the gospel and they know the gospel by heart and the gospel that we both understand, it, what it is what is clear in Scripture. Nothing to add. So if in your past there were many additions to the gospel, uh, I do suggest go back to Scripture and criticize yourself first. What do I believe in? Let me go through context study. Again, we promote the study of context, not out of context verse picking, but looking at the context of it. One example is what I shared to you in John 3.16. Some of you stop there. Why don't you read continuously? That those who truly believe cannot be do the deeds of darkness. Second point is they confirmed Paul as an apostle. Confirmed apostle. Remember that Paul, in the earlier part of this letter, was also defending his apostleship. And the letter is intertwined with his defense of what the gospel is, and then his defense that he was called by God to be an apostle because these Judaizers are saying, no, he does not belong to us. Paul does not belong, and what he's teaching you is wrong. And so he had to defend the gospel and at the same time defend his apostleship. Now, Paul explained that the apostles understood that God entrusted him, Paul, with a mission to the Gentiles as Peter was to the Jew. Paul was much an apostle as Peter was, although they had different assignments. Let's read verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, when we say uncircumcised, it means Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And remember, when Peter and the other apostles proclaimed the gospel, there were instances where the Holy Spirit showed miraculous manifestation, like Jesus had miraculous manifestation, 
And Luke recorded as well that Paul also had those. And many recognized their apostolic authority. But the real thing that binds them together was not the miracles. It was their understanding of what the gospel is. Who Christ is, what he has done, and how people should respond. And even they both believe that it is God who destined people, meaning we should proclaim the gospel, yet it is God who brings people to Christ. Not us. We do not have that power. We do not have a power to change lives. We do not have a power to, have a, to initiate a spiritual revolution within the heart of man. Only God can do that. Our role is as servants and messengers, as messengers only, as mailmen to deliver the word, the message. And then it is God who must move, not us. What we do is have the heart to proclaim it to people. Because once you begin thinking it's about you who saves people, that's why you have to be super spiritual. Well, I mean, come on, we, we are wretched sinners. Saved by grace alone. Think about that. I mean, no matter of preparation will prepare you to be worthy enough because we are definitely unworthy. But he is worthy and we are proclaiming what he did, not what we did. We are wretched sinners who need to repent as a lifestyle, who need to keep believing, who need to keep learning, who need to humble ourselves before the Lord because we are always incomplete but he is complete, and he is the one that we are proclaiming what he did on the cross. And if you feel that way, that is good news for me. <laughs> because you don't feel worthy. We should never feel worthy, ever, ever worthy to proclaim the gospel. It is a privilege, yet it is an assignment, a responsibility. We must do, but when people get saved... Let us forget, let us not forget, it is not because of our efforts. It is by the grace of God. Paul made clear that he was as much an apostle as Peter. Although they, did, they had different assignments from the Lord, he described to the Galatians that the apostles acknowledge his apostolic ministry. And you know, brothers and sisters, there are many Jewish believers today who are reaching out their people. Okay, they're, they're reaching out their people. We as Gentiles must reach the rest of the world. Of course, some of you think you should be Jewish and help them out. Sure, you may help them out. But I want you to understand that the fullness, the fullness of the Gentiles must come in first before God's plan for the Jew truly manifests. And that is in Romans 9 to 11. So friends, if you feel so Jewish, please don't. You're a Gentile believer. We remain humble before the Jew, before the Lord. They should remain humble as well. Everyone should remain humble. But the assignment is there. The rest of the Gentiles, as revealed in in Revelations, every tongue, every language, meaning every tribe, must come and worship the Lamb. And we see that picture, that people from every tribe worshiping the Lamb of God. 
because the word nations and tribe mean the same thing before in the word ethne it's not always the usage is not always about geopolitical nation like a nation is the Philippines with political leaders and it has its own constitution yes that's a nation today's language uses that as a nation before when you say nation or ethne it also means the tribes their own minority tribes are included the easiest way is you look at the languages so what do missions groups in the world do uh, they estimated it around 24,000 languages around the world and 24,000 must be represented in heaven that is the missions work in finishing the job because some promote that we should finish the job we believe in both reaching out our own people group our own language which would be the Bicolanos but also the different languages around the world so that's why sometimes we have to cross but because of the city phenomenon the people groups are coming to the cities different cities they're here we don't have to go very far it's already cross-cultural when you enter uh, when you speak to certain peoples now the last point I'd like to share to you is the right hand of fellowship now James Peter and John gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship it meant they believed in the same gospel moreover they perceived that God worked through Paul and they added a simple request in the end about the poor take note the poor is not the center the gospel is the center yes we must help and I know every family here helps at least one family member meaning extended family you know how Filipinos and Bicolanos are the cousin of my cousin needs your help and we actually help out and we should not stop that in the name of the Lord yet we thank the Lord for government because through the Christian movement in history and I'd like you to look this up hospitals social welfare was started by Christians in history government followed kingdoms followed so right now if you know somebody in need of course help them but utilize the taxes we're also paying help them by connect them do they need more training in skills connect them to tesla are they qualified for 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 some grants from dswd then connect them there in a certain way but of course the church must also be involved and every now and then we involved in these mini projects although we prefer a long-term impact uh, one brother said wanted to do this and I said yes because in Acts chapter 6 the Apostles the church leaders said then it is not good for us to serve tables but we should remain in terms of the ministry of the word and prayer the focus of church leaders should be the ministry of the word and prayer however the other members who wanted to do that was supported by the church leaders then and we have that same thing here there are members who said I want to do a project here and we do support that but I just say do not require church leaders to do that if you invite us we will proclaim the gospel but please manage and administer everything and we would be supportive of that but then we always remind people the main task is the gospel presentation and not only that make disciples 
What we desire is people who will continue on growing in the Lord, growing in the grace of God, to the point that they can proclaim the gospel to others and make disciples as well. Now, going back to the point of the right hand of fellowship, let me read verse 9 and verse 10. And when James and Cephas and John, I mentioned to you that Cephas here also is the other name of Peter. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they saw it clearly that God was at work with these people. And of course, remember that he, Paul, confirmed with them the gospel he was preaching, lest I should have run in vain, and they added nothing to him. It's, we see here that, that two critical things. One, the apostles confirmed the gospel that he preached, and they added nothing. Uh, no addition from the law of Moses. And two, they recognized God's apostolic call on Paul's life. And there was Paul saying, defending his apostleship, he's like saying to the Galatians, well, he's not really saying, but it's, it's sort of implying that, hey, you want to go to Jerusalem and talk to Peter, Cephas, and John? If they recognize me as an apostle, go ahead. Try it. Go. He's not saying that directly, but he's telling the story so that, hey, who are these Judaizers messing with your mind? You can go to Peter, James, and John and confirm what they confirmed about me. That they recognize my gospel, the gospel I proclaim, and they added nothing. And number two, that I am a fellow apostle of theirs. In fact, he would show that he is equal with Peter because in the succeeding verses, he would show how he rebuked Peter. And we will discuss that in the coming weeks. And that will dislodge some of some beliefs that when some believe that Peter is the first pope, and there's a doctrine that a pope is infallible. And how come Paul, who was not even considered a pope, was able to rebuke Cephas in a moment of hypocrisy? And that's the thing about church leadership. We can correct one another. Nobody is above the word of God. And any church leader who says, listen to me, but does not get his authority from the word, but just himself because of their position or false claim as an apostle, and many do that today, saying, I'm an apostle, period. Oh, brother. Then you cannot contradict what they've written. Because once you contradict it, then we have, you have an existential crisis. Verse 10, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Why? Because many of the Jews then, you remember they, many Jewish people were scattered from Jerusalem because of Paul's persecution when he was not yet a believer. And those who were scattered were dislodged from their home and their business. So many of those who were scattered were living in poverty, much like what's happening right now with Ukraine. And it happened in Syria as well in, in the modern day, where when there's war, 
Uh, in this case, it wasn't war, there was a religious persecution. So they were dislodged from their place of work and business and they were living poorly. So what Peter was saying, remember the poor, he was saying, remember those who were scattered. And remember the, the James, when he authored the book of James, the letter of James, he was addressing that, the poverty that they were experiencing. How should you live on earth? And how you should not uh, bow down to necessary to the rich just because they are rich. That God shows no partiality. He was encouraging them because of the poverty that they were living. So they were, he was not just saying, remember the poor in general, but remember these people. Our brothers were scattered. And it's almost like saying, remember Paul, it was you who did that. Uh, well, that's not plainly written. It's just, I can just surmise that, that that's a possibility. Uh, possibility of the exchange because of a certain historical insight. Now, how do we apply these things? Our application, number one, is keep the gospel pure. The apostles added nothing to the gospel. I'm talking about Peter, James, and John. Like Paul, let us faithfully proclaim the gospel as revealed by God in Scripture. Paul wrote about the gospel. The apostles and their associates wrote about the gospel. Well, they wrote about Christ and the gospel. So let's keep it pure. Let us therefore study the gospel in the New Testament. Then let us proclaim it. Then let us defend its purity and make sure that we add nothing to it, lest we become cursed to damnation. Number two, confirmed servants of God. Let us beware of those who claim apostleship in the modern world. No preacher should contradict what the apostles of the first century confirmed as the gospel of Christ. And let every preacher be tested according to Scripture. And it is very concerning in this modern world, especially on YouTube or where you will hear preachers that when you are down, what, what will they say? Don't worry, your breakthrough is around the corner. Keep believing, you'll have that breakthrough. Whereas the apostles, when they wrote, they gave them meaning rather than promising them that your suffering will end soon. No, what Paul and Peter and the others were saying, blessed are you if you're persecuted in his name. They never said it will stop. It might stop or might not stop. They never said, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. Well, with your soul, everything's going to be all right. It is well with our soul. But the problems we face on earth, in fact, what they preached was to endure in his name, to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. But that is not being preached by many popular preachers of megachurches today. They don't preach that too much. They don't preach against sin because it's unpopular. And maybe some church members might leave. They do not do chronological exposition because it is divisive. They'd rather go with topical, safe topics, not to touch on the sensitive or more direct part of Scripture. They only want to preach about love, the love of God. 
And I have nothing against the love of God, but you should also preach the wrath of God. We should not only preach about the comfort of the Spirit, but we should also preach about the discipline of the Father. We should not only preach about blessings will abound, abound. they will run after us and they will overtake us. We should also preach about there are times of testing. And before you reach your reward in heaven, some of us will be tested severely. And you do not, should not compare yourself to anyone because God's design for us is different. That's why we are so affected by this way of thinking. That's why if we see a brother suffer, they think maybe God is judging him. Oh boy, really, spoken like a true false prophet you are. Have you not thought that Joseph went through a lot of suffering because it was God's destiny and plan for him? So when one is suffering, we lift them up and pray for them. But if you think, what is God's prayer? You're thinking, trying to be like God and thinking that you are so moral and there must be something wrong with these people. That's why they are suffering. Obviously, you have not understood the lessons of Job in the Old Testament. It was primarily written for that kind of thinking. Well, how, how can we think that way? We were influenced by false teachers. I do believe God can prosper you if he planned it to. There are those who were like King David, who would be like King David, not exactly like a king, be a king, but, but blessed in such a way materially, but some of us might be John the Baptist. Paul himself said, I know what it means to be in abundance, and I know what it means to be in poverty. He experienced both. Is he less spiritual as preachers today say? I'm not talking about all the preachers, but popular ones, and some even in megachurches. The gospel must be kept pure, and let us beware of false preachers and teachers. Yet, we must also, well, moreover, may our local church community leaders, as Paul was confirmed by James, Peter, and John, let us also be confirmed by others that we are, may we also be confirmed by others that we are true servants of God. How? The gospel. Because we believe and understand the gospel as revealed in Scripture. Plainly, just don't add to it. Even quote it directly. There, there are some things in Scripture that we need a special word because there's no word to describe it. So we need a special word. But the gospel no, does not need a, anything special because it is crystal. For example, they spoke about, Paul keeps talking about the Father and the Lord Jesus. They kept talking about the Spirit, the Spirit of the Father. They keep talking about it. So the church leaders in history met together. Is Jesus God? And they confirmed yes. And there is a unity of the three. There is a trinity. That word is not in Scripture. But that word was needed. A, a new word was needed to, so that it's simpler to say. Instead of saying two words, the unity of the three. Oh, that's not two words. <laughs> that's... Uh, 
four words. Uh, they came up with one word to describe it, but the gospel is clear. Jesus said, Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Romans 1, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explained the gospel. Even here in Galatians, he would be explaining the gospel. And the importance that the response is faith, because we are justified by faith, not the works of the law. But this faith doesn't mean you can be immoral, and he will talk about the genuine fruit of the Spirit. And what? And the deeds of the flesh. He will explain that as well. Yet we must be confirmed if we are true servants of God, meaning do you believe in the gospel? So if your discipleship leader or growth group leader keeps asking you, can you please state the gospel? Please do not get mad at them. They're just making sure you understand it from Scripture and not from your tradition. We go back to Scripture, but through time, many things have happened. And the prophets of old always point them back to the law. Right now, we don't point back to the law. We point back to the New Testament and the Old Testament. But the New Testament as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We point to that after many years because through time, we love to innovate, to make things easier, to make things simpler. We try to blend the tribes instead of preaching against idolatry, we have adopted that, yes, there, we also have a mother and child that you can worship because the mother and child idolatry was definitely pagan because Mary was not worshipped in the New Testament, nor was the honor given to, him, to her as we honor, as many nations honor her right now, like our nation. We point them back. We call them back. And we need to be confirmed. Servants of God. Now, if you're a true servant of God, you believe in the gospel, you proclaim the gospel. Yes, if you're a true servant of God, you will proclaim the gospel and you will defend the gospel. And let us pray that God's grace will abound in us in relation to the gospel. We should not only believe in the gospel, we should live the gospel. Yes, every now and then, practical living is good. We learn the practical Christian life, and that is necessary. We have the book of James in the New Testament that doesn't seem to be gospel-oriented, but seems to be practical living-oriented, yet every now and then that is important, yet that is only one part, a small part of the New Testament. And if you look at the apostles, like in Romans, Paul would discuss the theology 1 to 11, and then the therefore, how do you practice this? 12 onwards. You see Hebrews, whoever the writer was, was, was mixing theology, the understanding of the gospel and how should we practice. And always putting that together. Always putting that together. We see Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians, uh, 1 to 3, talking about the gospel and the theology behind the gospel. And then we only see in chapter 4 where practical living, therefore, you should bear one another in love. But many focus on the practical living and have thrown away 
the theological understanding of the gospel. But you cannot be a confirmed servant of God if you don't understand the gospel, if all you understand is practical living. Oh, and I hear people, you know, I, I like his life. It's amazing, his life, her life. Uh, before that, what's the gospel to the person? That's before anything else. And lastly, the fellowship with genuine believers. The leaders of the Jerusalem church gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. The primary reason is that they believe in the same gospel. Thus, let us fellowship with those who believe in the same gospel. If you're not sure, then take a few steps back. Do we connect with non-believers? We have to because we have to proclaim the gospel. But be careful if you're too comfortable with the ways of the world without the centrality of the gospel, if you're more comfortable there, that is a danger zone because it will affect the way you think, the way you react, even the way you speak. Because what? Well, let me give you an old adage. Birds of the same feather, birds of a feather flock together. And the scripture says, bad company corrupts good character. So we have to be careful. Now, we connect, I connect. But I'm not saying I'm comfortable. No, I'm not comfortable. But I have to find the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. But I am not very comfortable. Conversely, beware of false brothers and sisters. Well, how do you check them? First, check if they know the gospel accurately. Well, you have to know the gospel accurately. Uh, they should cite the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they should speak of a faith that includes repentance. If not the word repentance, another word for it. How the true believer is uncomfortable with sin and the true believer turns away from sin. You have to see that. The second, they should exhibit a life in keeping with repentance, which means that they express their faith in obedience to the word of God. Now, the scripture said, by their fruits, you should know them. You look at the life, but take note, not only the life, but the doctrine as well. Remember what Paul told Timothy? Watch your doctrine and watch your life. Not just watch your life, watch your doctrine and your life. That's why here in our community, both are so important. But if you don't watch your doctrine, it becomes a concern. And we as a community must learn to gently correct one another when it comes to doctrine and when it comes to life. Not to be offensive when we correct and not to be offended when we are corrected. There's a pattern, Matthew 18, talk to them privately. Don't talk to a group and then confront this person, oh brother. Follow what scripture says. If there are more than two who have been speaking, then come to us in the eldership. Then we will take the last step. But don't tell us if you haven't. Don't spread gossip about the weakness of your brother or sister. That we do not accept. But a genuine heart to correct because of our love for one another in Christ because we want the truth, not because we are better than others, 
but we also want others to correct us if we don't see ourselves doing the wrong thing, but we are doing the wrong thing, but we don't see it, it is good for others to gently correct us as well. But please make sure when you correct somebody, your correction is based on scripture, not based on tradition. I remember one time some people saying to me when I was a young Christian, don't go to movies. Bad things happen in movie houses. Well, he lived in another era. Where movie, when you say a movie house in his era, and it was the era of my father, and it's not my father who said that to me, but in th those age people, when you go to a movie house, something really happens. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Something naughty happens. It's so different these days. Well, it depends on what you're watching. I don't see that in Scripture, so I won't correct that. But when I see what is clear in Scripture, whether it's gossip, slander, whether it's adultery, fornication, it's clear. The sins that are written in Scripture, that's what we base it on, our correcting one another. So everything is based on Scripture. But that is our freedom. And Galatians is the book of liberty. Christian liberty, meaning we don't have to be under the law. We have freedom to be in Christ. And the sins that were mentioned really are not that many. But it's something that you would desire to have. You want to have a pure heart if you're a believer. Yet it's not that many compared if you add the whole Old Testament ceremonies there. That would be too many. We are free. We are free. We are free. I give you again a poem called The Right Hand of Fellowship. Paul indeed was an apostle. The work assigned to us colossal. Yet he worked on until he died. Much faith and courage he applied. Paul, like Peter, preached the gospel, but to different target people. Peter sent to the circumcised, to the Jewish he specialized. God sent Paul to the Gentile world, to them he preached God's holy word. James, Peter, and John, they perceived the grace of God that Paul received. It was the right hand of fellowship. The long journey was worth the trip. Paul's gospel, the others confirmed, the Lord's grace and truth they discerned. Give the right hand of fellowship. With one voice and heart let's worship. Together the gospel let's preach by grace as far as we can reach. Let us all rise. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your message. Thank you for the truth of your word. And we have the right hand of fellowship with one another because we believe in the same gospel. We believe in the same Christ, who in his earthly life was the son of David, a descendant of David, descendant of Abraham. Yet your son, who became flesh, fully God, fully human, yet suffered as a human, willing to go through 
the justice that we so, so deserve, the wrath of God that we so deserve, took the place of all who believe to pay for our debts, to pay for our crimes, our sins. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Our Lord who was risen from the dead because he personally had no sin. He lives forever. And he calls us to eternal life in Christ, in him. To believe, to turn away from our old life, to change our perspective. To turn away from sin. And to call on him, our Lord, our Messiah, our Sovereign Master, our Savior. And through him we can come to you and call you Abba, Father. Our humility, the humility you give us to, to submit to his Lordship leads us to your fatherhood to your adoption. And we can be intimate in our worship with the Father, yet not forgetting the Lord's sovereignty in everything. Teach us to keep the gospel pure, to proclaim it and defend it. Teach us to assess one another and others as well before we give the right hand of fellowship Teach us to repel false brothers and false sisters, but remain true to the truth of the word, studying it carefully in its context. Strengthen us, bind us together in this right hand of fellowship we have with one another. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you all. <laughs>